0: Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchuk here, joined by Steven Trinkwald. As always, we are almost done with our 2023 season outlooks. Um, we got the Dallas Wings today. Stephen, a team that was 18-18 uh, and 18 last season, and their record was almost perfectly predicted by their net rating, which I feel doesn't happen very often.
1: No, that's right. And I think, uh, as we'll get into, they were even more perfectly average at one point in the season so as you mentioned they were 18 and 18 uh over the course of the regular season sixth in the standings in the regular season 0.2 net rating so just a hair over uh positive uh that was also good for six they were fourth in offense overall 104.6 offensive rating ninth in defense 104.3 defensive rating and they lost to The Connecticut Sun in the first round, Uh, a series that went three games, Eric, but one that, you know, I I don't think was ever really in serious
0: doubt. Is there such thing as a gentleman's sweep in in a three-game series? Because I feel like that's what this was.
1: It it felt very close. Um, But as I was sort of alluding to, they were, for much of the regular season, they were sixth in offense and sixth in defense up until July 13th. Uh, A negative one net rating overall. So, I mean, when I think of the Dallas Wings over the last few years, just like perfectly average, like not really standing out in any particular categories, like none of their four factors ever really jump out to you too much. But that changed, I think, a little bit when they inserted Tierra McCowan into the starting lineup for good uh, starting July 14th. And from that point on for the rest of the season, they were the second best offense in the WNBA, 110 offensive rating in those final 13 games, Eric. Pretty good. Was it sustainable? I think we'll get into it, but definitely impressive.
0: Yeah, I mean, they acquired from the in a trade with the Indiana Fever the previous offseason, and you know the initial results were not spectacular. I feel like they were still trying to uh, figure out how she was going to factor into their team, but once they put her in that starting lineup, things changed dramatically in their offensive approach, and it did lead to um, a lot more offensive rebounds, a lot more free throw attempts, Which, of course, uh, are both factors in more efficient offense.
1: Yeah, I think they really leaned into the TR McCown of it all and it yielded positive results, I should say. Uh, They were second in offensive rebound rate from that point forward, second in free throw attempt rate from that point forward, and second in turnover rate. You know, this is a team that I think is always pretty good, not turning the ball over, but they improved even there. You know, all those things really were, I would say, you know, slight positives for them. Up until that point of the season, but particularly the offensive rebounding and the free throw attempt rate, like the more Tiara McCowan plays for your team, the better you're going to be in those areas. Pretty much. And, you know, we kind of got an idea of what, you know, really leaning into what a Tiara McCowan focused offense could look like. And, you know, she still wasn't playing crazy minutes, 25 minutes a game in the games that she started much, much lower in the games that she came off a bench. It was kind of weird as you mentioned Eric, how long it sort of took them to, I guess embrace who she is as a player for a team that you know went out and decided to trade for her. It wasn't like a you know a new regime came into a player that was already on roster. like they they actively sought her out and still kind of took them a while to integrate her into their their plans there. Um, but when they did, you know she was she was awesome. 11 points and seven rebounds per game, four defensive rebounds, three offensive rebounds per game, uh, 21 and 13 and a half boards per 36 minutes, you know, getting to the foul line for eight attempts per 36 minutes. She was the most efficient she had been in the WNBA, 60% from the field and 60% true shooting, both career highs. And she had her best free throw attempt rate since her rookie season, which I think in some ways... um, you know, it was her going to work down there, but also the most kind of friendly environment that she had been in for her to be able to, to do the things that she does well.
0: Yeah, if you're in Indiana, chances are you will not be doing many things that you're able to do well, but I digress. Um Other side of this coin is that uh, their franchise player, Ariki Gunbuale missed a good stretch of this season, but the Wings not only survived it, they thrived in it.
1: Yeah, she, of course, missed... Six out of the Wings' final seven games, and in those six games, the Wings posted a 117 offensive rating in the six games that Enrique didn't play. So, I mean, do, do you make anything of that? Is it just sort of small sample size? They did play some pretty good teams, Eric. They got wins against the Aces and the Sky in that stretch. Um, notably, I, I think we all remember the one game that Enrique came back for, in that stretch was a game that the fever took them to overtime and the wings kind of almost blew that one. But again, you know, 103 offensive rating in the majority of the games that Enrique did play. And then they were just completely unstoppable in the ones where she was injured. I think, you know, easy to chalk that up to small sample size, especially because there was some real shooting luck going on there. Uh, the team shot 38% from three as a team in those six games compared to about 33.5% in the uh, majority of the season that, that she did play. But I don't know. What do you think? Was was there anything to that outside of, I guess, just kind of, you know, shooting luck and maybe a team sort of rallying around missing their franchise player?
0: Well, first of all, I would offer that Marina Mabry is also a really good player and she's perfectly capable of playing that scoring lead guard role as, as well as anybody. But um, you know, I, I think you just got to think of where are those possessions going, because Urike has routinely been one of the highest usage players in the WNBA since her rookie season, and when she's not playing, where are those shots going? I think in this instance, during that, that six, seven game stretch, the ball was going to McCowan a lot more often, and as you cited already, McCowan is simply a very, very efficient offensive player, at least in terms of individual statistics, but this is where I'm at on, on Agunbo because you know any discussion about the wings needs to start and end with Ariki Gimbowale. I think she is I mean this is clear she's a she's a very gifted offensive player, particularly off the bounce who can, she can just get to the rim at will, she can get to get, get her own shot unlike almost any other guard in the league. Um she's also a very good catch and shoot player. You know, she, her effective field goal percentage 62.3% last season. That's that's really good. I mean she's she's physical, she's athletic, she's got plenty of playmaking chops. That maybe aren't utilized as often as they should be, but on the other hand, we always—it seems like you see this every year. You know, um, she's among the league leaders in two-point jump shots attempted off the dribble, among the league leaders in isolation possessions. Um, like I said, massive, massive, massive usage player. She has never ranked outside of the top three in usage rate in any of her WNBA seasons, and the wings just haven't been been successful uh, with her as their primary player. So it's like. Is this all her fault? You, no, I don't think you can say that. But again, in considering her enormous usage percentage and just just the year by year stagnation of her statistics, like it's it's pretty interesting how consistent Ugunbuwale has been statistically over the years. But I think you you have to kind of reach a, a point where it's like, okay, um, this is stagnant. You know, I, I'm not gonna say she hasn't improved as a player. She she hasn't gotten any better. She hasn't changed as a player, but you know, when the results are middling and you have these stretches here and there where Gunbowale is not on the floor, she's not not with the team or whatever, and the team is not only, you know, surviving, but playing better without her, I think that does need to be under the microscope.
1: Yeah, I, I might have misheard you, but that 62% effective field goal, that was as a catch-and-shoot player, not overall. Yes. Uh, Correct. Uh, 48% effective field goal on the season. But, I mean, I yeah, I agree with everything you said. I, I guess, like, what I'm trying to think about with Erika Goomba-Wiley is sort of like what is really like holding her back from being, you know, one of the truly elite offensive players. You know, she has the high scoring, the high usage, but she doesn't really drive you to hyper-efficient offense in the way that, you know, some of the really special guards in the WNBA have over the past, I guess, you know, couple decades of the league. She just hasn't really been that type of player. And maybe it's just because she hasn't really been surrounded by a ton of other elite offensive players. But I would say the players that she's played heavy minutes with largely have leaned more towards offense than defense. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't agree with that. You know, I think she has had enough talent around her to, you know, I really hate to use this term, but making your teammates better. I, I think on this podcast, we prefer to frame it as maximizing the talents of your teammates. It it, it should all be there for a good you know, It's not like she's this, chucker who's putting up a true shooting percentage of like 41%. Like her individual statistics they're they're decently efficient, right? Yeah, they're, they're
1: like league average or so, which is yeah, not terrible for a 30%
0: usage, I guess. It's probably not where you want them to be, but individually it's not like she's totally killing the team either. You know, it's not like these are empty statistics, but at the same time, like you said, just not driving efficient offense and we're this is this is the fourth year we've seen this now. So it's like, okay, fourth year, um, second head coach, uh, several iterations of Wings rosters. A- at what point do you do you look at this and say, okay, the usage for Ogunboale needs to be dialed back a little bit for this team to really, really thrive?
1: And as a creator for others, it's just not really a high value proposition for her. You know, she's, she's a fine passer. I think she can make very good passes. I think, you know, oftentimes she'll sort of, uh, she'll get double teams before she even kind of breaks the paint uh, above the three-point line. Like, she's really good sort of getting the ball out when she sees two defenders high above the arc and getting it to the release valve on the roll or getting it over to the wing. But when she's really kind of, like, driving into the teeth of the defense, getting all the way to the rim, you know, she'll have some moments here and there, but she's she's not really kind of making advanced reads, you know, diming it up to the opposite corner or getting you know high high value passes in the pick and roll and even more so than what she's doing you know she's just not doing it very often obviously like she's not she's gonna shoot she's a a shoot first player which is is fine but you know 19 points a game on basically 19 shooting possessions a game like and obviously the the defense is very very bad but like, I, I just tend to care less about defense for, you know, the truly special level of offensive guards, you know, Skylar Diggins Smith or Tarazi. You know, Peak Tarazi. Like, right. Like, Tarazi was, as, you know, a, a player around Enrique's age, like driving the best offense in the league. And Enrique just, you know, obviously we're talking about one of the best players of all time, but Enrique is just not really close to that level of individual efficiency or or team efficiency offensively.
0: Okay, so where do the Wings go from here? Because I really doubt Wale is going to be uh, have the ball in her hands less. Now, they, they did it. they did hire a new coach, Eletricia Trammell, famous mostly for being a L.A. Sparks assistant, um, replacing Vicky Johnson as head coach for 2023. They also brought in Natasha Howard and Diamond DeShields via trade, so two b- pretty big pieces there, as well as signing Crystal Dangerfield, Kalani Braun, and Kikulaxa.
1: Dangerfield also acquired in a trade,
0: I should say. And for departures, well, they, they lost a lot, too. This is not the same Wings franchise that was kind of running it back year by year. Alicia Gray traded to Atlanta. Isabel Harrison let go on free agency. Marina Mabry, of course, in that massive four-team trade, ended up going to Chicago. Kayla Thornton, now New York. Ty Harris, now in Connecticut. And Bella Allery retiring from the game of basketball. They also added Maddie Segrist, Lou lopez Seneschal, Stephanie Suarez, Abby Myers, Ashley Jones, and Paige Robinson all through the draft. So there's there's a lot to look at here, Stephen. This team is going to look a lot different than it did in years past.
1: Yeah, a lot of new faces with in terms of their departures. Alicia Gray, Kayla Thornton, and Marina Mabry making up their three leading minute players last year. Uh, Isabel Harrison was number five for total minutes played for them. So as a team, you know, thinking about what they did last year, bringing back just two of their top seven in terms of minutes played last season, and you know, just kind of assessing. The players that are coming in, the players that are going out. You know, I think we'll get into kind of where we stand with this team, but I think you could make a case that the overall roster construction got worse. Um, I think Alicia Gray is probably the best player, either coming or going. I, th- I agree. I think, you know, next on that list is probably Howard, but both Kayla Thornton and Marina Mabry, in my opinion, are better WNBA players than anyone else coming or going besides Natasha Howard. So, you know, three out of the four, I guess, you know, arrivals or departures, I think, are, are uh, better players that you're losing than than gaining here. So I get sort of just completely switching up your identity, trying something new. You know, they added in what I'm sure they consider uh, some more star potential in Natasha Howard and Diamond DeShields. You know, they, they doubled the number of all-stars they have on this team, Eric, but hey. I, I think overall, you know, the... Never mind just how it fits. How it fits, I think, as we'll get into, is probably undeniably worse. But the actual how these players individually affect you know, winning basketball games is, is worse as well, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think a big part of this is they also re-signed uh, Tierra McCowan to a very healthy extension. So I think if you're looking at this roster, they are leaning in to front court play. Uh, McCowan, after her very hot stretch last season, I think it'd be reasonable to suggest that She's going to be one of their key players this season, and then they're probably also going to be starting Natasha Howard next to her. So that in itself is is kind of an interesting fit, um, because you know obviously those two players are kind of both. I don't want to say paint bound because Natasha Howard does shoot three pointers, but it, it it kind of pushes Satu Sabili out of the equation at Power forward, at least. you know, Maybe she's going to come off the bench. Is she going to start at the three? We don't know. Um, so they they, did, they definitely did acquire more. Did they even acquire more high end talent? Like in a vacuum, maybe I I, th- I think that they think they acquired more. <laughs> okay, talent. okay. So so you you can see the vision.
1: Yeah, I I understand from, from
0: their from their perspective. Their special I mean, perspective.
1: Yeah, uh, Natasha Howard. You know, I get talking yourself into playing her at the four full time. It, you know, with strictly uh, a a one hundred percent paint bound center. Not sure really how that's going to look, particularly offensively. Like, yeah, Natasha Howard to maybe clean things up for. Uh, Arike and, and Tierra McCowan defensively, you know I I don't think she's that player anymore. But I could really see yourself talking in, yourself into that. Um, but you know Howard is not really a stretch center. You, she'll take some, but she's she's not a shooter. Like her her career three point shooting, you know we're talking about a thirty two percent shooter basically. Since yeah, she's, you're not
0: you're not selling out on her to uh, leave to not double Tierra McCowan in the post.
1: Right. I mean, you know, a player who was well below average as a spot-up player, again, uh, a career, you know, low 30s, three-point shooter. So I I think maybe you can kind of talk yourself into this. You're leaning into rebounding and maximizing the possession games, uh, the possession game and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's, I I get the vision again, but Howard and and McCowan, even with all the other sort of clunky fits on the The roster I think are are the two things that I sort of have the the biggest questions on, but I think there's also ways to sort of maximize that fit by staggering them a lot. You know, I think Satu is probably a pretty good fit with either one of them, you know, as your third big off the bench. So, you know, I think there's formulas here to to make it work, but I think if if Howard and McCowan are, you know, within your sort of uh, your best five against other teams, best five, it just, you know, it might be very easy to kind of scheme against that, I think.
0: Well, I think one area in which they're definitely going to improve is, is defense. Uh, I mean, it'd be hard to get much worse. Although they did rank ninth in overall defense, um, in the details there, they're even worse. You know, they were 11th in opponent spot up points per possession. And they were 12th in opponent's pick and roll ball handler points per percentage. 12th in overall half court, they're also 12th in opponent field goal percentage from one to five feet. Uh, according to Link's data, opponents shot 66.7% at the rim against the Dallas Wings last year. So that is obviously not acceptable. That's not gonna win you uh, that many games. So I, I think maybe by starting a big front court, you maybe kind of take care of that a little bit. Although Tierra McCowan obviously has her own struggles defensively, but I, I agree with what you said. I think if you're in a vacuum, just replacing Isabel Harrison with Natasha Howard, the defense is gonna improve. But yeah, the, uh, the the overall fit offensively is, is definitely something to to, to watch. Um, Would you agree that this, this roster is just at least better felt better built to compete on the defensive end of the floor? Um, I, I,
1: I guess so. The other thing that I want to mention about their defense last year is they allowed the second highest transition percentage in the league. Um, So they weren't too much better uh, in transition than they were in half court, at least in terms of, that is interesting. um, But I mean, they have players that I think, you know, you could, you could form a, a good defense around, you know, Howard, a one-time defensive player of the year, Diamond De Shields has very specific defensive strengths and weaknesses. Veronica Burton coming into her, um, you know, second year, we expect her to have even larger of a defensive impact than she did last year. I mean, even Crystal Dangerfield, I think, is perhaps undervalued as a defensive player. Like she's not a good defensive player for you in every single matchup, but if you have you know, like a smallish guard who's very quick that you just need someone to stay in front of. Like Dangerfield can guard that player very well, I think. Uh, you know, she might get kind of ball-racked against that player if they they can, uh, you know, either pull up or, or as a spot-up player. But, you know, off the dribble, I, I think she's very good defending the ball, again, against, like, you know, maybe like a, a Skylar Diggins-Smith or that type of player here. So they do have better defensive personnel for sure. I mean... I shouldn't, I mean, they lost Alicia Gray and Kayla Thorne. Like those are two yeah, that is true. pretty good defensive players. Um, but obviously like the Natasha Howard for Isabel Harrison swap, even if Howard is not the same player that she was a few years ago, like that's a massive defensive improvement. And the other thing is that, you know, as much as Tierra McCowan is noted as not a positive defensive player, the moments that, you know, she had played with a lot queer, uh, a small sample size, you know, 130 or minutes or so, they had a 91 defensive rating with those two on the court. So, you know, the moves that they made in the offseason don't suggest to me, hey, a lot more of what Queer minutes are coming. But uh, what wow. if they kind of lean into, you know, specific lineups and, you know, I think in some ways, you know, Howard can maybe replicate what Queer does defensively. But she just doesn't have the length or athleticism. But, you know, they are... The biggest defensive improvement that they brought in, you would think, is their head coach. You know, the the player who has been or sorry, the person who has been, you know, purported to kind of be have fueled those back-to-back number three defenses in Los Angeles a few years back. So more so than, you know, gaining Howard or or losing Alicia Gray and Kayla Thornton, like that is kind of who you're looking at is is
0: if this team can really kind of turn it around defensively. Yeah, Trammell certainly hailed as a defensive mastermind. We'll see what she can do with this new system, with this new roster. Um, let's talk about the Wings draft real quick, because they made they had plenty of draft picks. They made plenty of selections. They got Maddie Seegers at number three, uh, traded for the rights of Stephanie Saares, who will not be playing this year. She tore her ACL while uh, playing at Iowa State. They traded uh, for Atlanta's, or they traded Atlanta's 2025 first-round pick and their own 2024 second-round pick, so that's interesting. Um, Lou Lopez Seneschal at number five, Abby Myers at number 11, Ashley Jones at number 19. So, Stephen, I know you're not a big college basketball watcher. Any initial takes on this? Because it, it did seem to me like the Wings were kind of leaning into a specific draft strategy here, but I'll let you answer this first.
1: Yeah, I mean, they obviously valued players who can shoot the ball. I mean, Secret at three, it didn't floor me, I would say. I like Matty Seacrest. I think I'm, you know, maybe... Higher on Segrist than sort of some uh, folks, you know, in, in, in me, in draft <laughs> intelligentsia, let's say, but, you know, maybe lower than her like most ardent supporters trading for Soros. I think that that's kind of a move that you really sort of don't really understand with, you know. Just maxing out your center, you know. A couple of weeks ago, Lou Lopez Seneschal at five. I, overall, I think you know I get what they're doing. We can kind of talk about them individually, but we should start with Seagrist. I think Seagrist and Haley Jones and, and Jordan Horston were kind of the players that were sort of being discussed widely as options for the number three pick. I, I don't really think I had seen too many other sort of you know mock drafts or big boards or anything like that where what another player besides those three were the third option there. So, I mean, what do you think about them leaning Segrist over those other two players?
0: Well, first of all, I think it was obvious that the Wings needed a wing. <laughs> you know, they needed a perimeter player who could shoot the basketball. And they certainly got their fair share of those. Um, but Seagrest I think, well, the main question I have about, have about her is, is where is she playing? Um, obviously more of a front court player during her time at Villanova. And then while she can shoot the three-pointer, I don't think that's her biggest strength. Her biggest strength is just a very deep offensive bag, which she was able to leverage over, you know, let's face it, smaller defenders in the Big East for the most part. I mean, she's listed at, at six foot one. Um, I, I doubt she's going to be able to just like rise and fire over defenders like she did in college so often. But you know, how is her game going to translate on the defensive end? Because if she can't play, first of all, I don't think she's going to be able to hang on the perimeter. But she's not exactly big enough to defend most power forwards. So where is she defending? Is she going to get enough time on the court to take advantage of her, you know, her vast offensive skill? That's, that's the main thing I have with her. So, you know, honestly, even though Dallas's front court isn't as crowded as it was previously, I mean, look at who they invested it in over the, the previous offseason. You've got Howard, you've got McCowan, you've got Saboli, who ideally will still be playing. You've got Waqueer who I, I don't know if she's going to play or not, but at, at worst, or maybe at best, Seagruss is their fourth big. It wouldn't surprise me if she just, you know, starts racking up DNP's pretty early in her career while she figures it out on defense. It's not going to be the end of the world if she doesn't play right away. I don't think, I don't think Seger's filled as much of a need on this roster as other other picks did. But I I would agree with that. You know, because like if if you looked at this roster before and you're like, oh god, we need somebody who can shoot the ball and play off the ball, that would be Lopez Sonechal. That would be Ashley Jones. That would be Abby Myers to an extent. That's not really what you think of as when you watch Maddie Segrist play. Can she shoot the three? Yeah. Is she a stretch four? You know, maybe. The jury's out on that. Those two names you mentioned earlier, Haley Jones, certainly not a, a stretch player, no matter where she's playing. Jordan Horston, probably not either. You know, she, she's much better with the ball in her hands. And I think the fit between, I think the fit with her and Arike would just not work. <laughs> so they definitely did lean into shooting the basket, into players who can shoot the basketball. But Segrist, again, I just go back to the defense who is she going to defend out there? Because if she can't defend anywhere, she's probably not going to play that often. And, you know, it's just not as simple as, okay, we're just going to play her on the perimeter because I don't think she can she can hang out there. I'd love to be wrong. I think she's a great story. You know, she was um, not a very highly touted high school recruit. So for her to just come into Villanova and, and be straight flames is pretty cool. But at the same time, um, the ceiling I, I do have a concern with.
1: I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think naturally... I don't think the fit with a fully formed Maddie Segrist, you know, if you're framing it in, you know, the fit around Enrique I, I don't think that is great necessarily, but it is probably better than Haley Jones or Jordan Horston. You know, sure. if you're taking best available player who can also play with Enrique Gumbawale, then Maddie Secret, yeah, sure, that, that might make some sense. Um, I think I'm just a little bit higher on playing her at the three early in her career, like we've seen players that will eventually kind of fill out as a four when they're fully developed players, you know, play that first year or two as a three because they just don't have the strength to, to hang at the, f- like any decent four, I think is just going to put Maddie Secrets completely in the goal. I also agreed that with what you kind of said, that it, it's just not really the end of the world if she doesn't play. Like if their second first round pick, Lou Lopez Seneschal plays more than Maddie Secrets, like that I don't think that's an indictment on Maddie Segrist. I
0: think that will happen.
1: Yeah. I I think it will happen too, but I don't think that's an indictment on Segrist as a prospect or, you know, the wings as an organization, like as much as we all like to dunk on Greg Bibb. Like I, I don't really think that that would be the end of the world. Like Lou Lopez Seneschal is also, you know, a 25 year old and Maddie Segrist is, you know, two full years younger. So, you know, I agree that her long-term fit uh, or long-term position in the league, if she's going to succeed, it'll probably be as a four. uh, But I, I just worry less about, you know, all the great threes in the league punishing her defensively than, than power forwards. Like there's not That's a, fair. You know, I just you know, there are threes, obviously, like she won't be able to hang with Kalea Copper, you know, even some threes, like Nafisa Collier and Benaja Laney will probably just completely be able to post her up and put her in the goal. Um, but like, you know, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like it's probably just like the least star started position, especially if you're playing her like with bench units, like what you know, bench three is really gonna be killing Maddie secret out there. Uh, it's not like you're gonna play her at the three in the playoffs, you know, in, in your closing lineup or something like that. But and yeah, to your point, like I think she she kind of breaks the mold of what this the rest of this I guess draft strategy was like, she's not that great of a three point shooter. Like, I mean, she, she hits him at a decent percentage, you know, 36% or whatever, but she's not really that high of a volume
0: three point shooter. Like, have you seen the form on her three point shot? Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's very different than the form on her two point shot.
1: That is the biggest thing kind of like evaluating her as like a scoring prospect is that like, it's not, you know, plenty of players have thrived, you know, with the weird jump shot form or, or an, an unconventional jump shot form. But for, the three-point shot to look so different than the two-point jump shot is what I think is is very interesting about her. And like, if she succeeds in the league, like it, it's not going to be primarily as a floor spacer. I don't think. I, I could be wrong, but it'll be because like her self-creation game was able to translate somehow. So I don't really know what that looks like with Enrique again. I, I think if she doesn't play, I don't really think she'll play that much. At least you know by after the All-Star break or something. You know they'll probably try her out. It'll probably go poorly, and and then she'll she'll play less. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think in a vacuum, you know, she's probably. I would say like she has the. Th- uh, would you agree with this, Eric? She has the third highest ceiling of, of any of Seagrass, Jones, or Horston, or maybe yes. maybe not even I the highest ceiling. But I, I don't know. I, I I agree.
0: No, I agree. Yeah,
1: I I get why they chose her over those players. I I, I get the concerns of those. I mean, Horston fell the ninth. Obviously, like there are. are concerns about who jordan horston is as, as a draft prospect but i don't know she if if other players that they drafted later last longer on this team
0: it, it wouldn't surprise me that much but i support the pick i guess it's fine how many times have we seen the dallas wings take a player like second or third or fourth i apologize my dogs are barking but how many times have we seen the, the wings take a player higher than people thought they were going to take and they're just off the team within two years
1: Yes, it certainly has happened before. Um, let's move on to the trade for Soares, a player who I guess is sort of a redshirt player, you know, not expected to play this season. I, I don't think they're even signing her to her rookie scale contract this year. Again, you know, to, to make the trade for the number four pick, so they they have picks three, four, and five from this draft for, I mean, a first round pick that we expect won't be a great first round pick probably, but... I mean, there's there's a lot kind of not figured out with Atlanta. Like, if that 2025 first-round pick is a lottery pick, that wouldn't be... I mean, I wouldn't be floored. Like, I guess I would be kind of surprised. But to trade a first for a player who you would imagine, Eric, unless I just have a total misread on who this player is, like, is going to be your backup center because you just maxed out to your McCowan. Like, is, is the plan here to transition away from the tiara mccowan era in in three years and kind of hand it over to sores you know mccowan's only going into her age 26 season you imagine with what they have invested in her she's she's their long-term center so I, i don't really understand trading a future first with some pretty decent upsides for what i would imagine is a one positional player or is she not a one positional player
0: no i think she's a one positional player and that's one of the many reasons why this move makes no sense to me Um, Again, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on behind the scenes or whatever, but uh, I mean, she moves decently for a center, but given that she struggles to defend in space and defend pick-and-roll rollers um, in her limited time in the Big 12, I mean, we have like, what, a 12-13 game sample size here, I believe? She's got the potential to be a valuable player, but a large amount of it is just still theoretical. And, you know, also for the reasons you stated, they're pretty loaded at the position already. Usually, I, I think a trade like this is made where You know a player is not going to play this season, so you're just going to stash them because you can't really do anything else. Because your roster is already maxed out for this season, so you'll keep their rights and not have to make a difficult decision this season in training camp. But that's not the case. The Wings are going to have a a pretty large training camp battle, actually. Um, So they traded a first-round pick in 2025, which I definitely would not do, for a player where so much is just up in the air. So much is up in the air with Stephanie Soares. Does she have stretch-five capability? Yeah. But let's not act like she was, you know, shooting 45% from three at, at, at Iowa State either. You know, she shot, I believe, a little above 30% from three. Can she block shots? Yeah. I mean, she, she's definitely long. She's definitely got that uh, WNBA frame for a center, but she's not she's not so much of a can't-miss prospect that I would give up a first-round pick in 2025, which is, you know, projected to be, like, maybe the best class ever, depending on who stays and who goes, so... I just think it's a risk that that they didn't need to take at all. Like would Stephanie Sari still be there at at five, and they won't have to trade at all? I don't know. I mean that
1: that's likely uh, or at least possible, but then maybe they they don't get the other player that they had targeted there. Um, but yeah, I it's maybe it's a move that just works out because she's completely awesome. Um,
0: and it's like you're rolling I, the I, dice I, for what?
1: Yeah, for a player who's. Again, playing probably the same position as the player that you just gave a three-year max to. So, uh, hey, maybe this is a move with four years from now down the line, but it feels like the wings.
0: Yeah, if our podcast is still going in four years, we will gladly take the L on that one.
1: Let's move on to uh, the rest of their, their uh, I guess, notable picks. Um, when Lou lopez Seneschal's name was called at five, what were you thinking? Was that a surprise to you? No,
0: it wasn't. Uh, because you know, I think Lopez Seneschal, at this point in the draft, it's like, okay, we've kind of figured that they, they don't want Haley Jones. We kind of figured that they don't want Jordan Horse, and Otherwise, they probably would have picked them already. So, you know, Lopez Seneschal, I think is one of the safer pro- players in the draft class. Like you said, she's already 25 years old. Um, her game just screams maturity. You know, the way she was able to transfer from Fairfield to UConn and play better than even Gina Auriemma expected through a pretty tumultuous yukon season otherwise i think she's just a safe pick you know you look at her game she's a movement shooter she doesn't really do much with the ball in her hands but that's not something that the wings are going to need her to do anyway again the wings needed a perimeter player who could come in knock down a few jump shots who can play without the basketball and just make good decisions with it and she checks pretty much all those boxes i don't think she's going to be like a perennial all-star or anything like that but if you're looking for I mean, they had several, as as you like to call it, bites at the apple in this draft class, and they got several players who I think are sort of in the same archetype. But with Lopez percentage, I think you have the uh, the best possible chances of of this being a good outcome for this pick. I'm not in love with her game, but I think it's a game that could translate and, and provide maybe you know 10 to 12 valuable WNBA minutes throughout the course of her rookie season. And really, if you if if you think about it, that's all they really need from her, at least this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, they desperately needed someone that could give them some movement shooting. Um, And they they now have a couple of options with Katia Laksa, who we'll get into as well. But yeah, I, I don't think there was a lot of separation for me in, you know, sort of the middle of this draft. You know, let's say five to whatever. You look at just the next four players taken... There's a good chance, you know, none of them are ever able to do anything off the ball, Never mind sure. become the type of movement shooter that Lou Lopez Seneschal or, or some of the other players that they acquired in the offseason are now. So uh, again, as we talked about with secrets, I could see Lopez Seneschal being the rookie that plays the most, or at least the, the 2023 draft pick that plays the most, because I think Katia Loxa should get some good burn for this team. Um, but of their recent draft picks, like I would... I would probably bet that Lopez Seneschal plays a lot, probably, right? She'll probably be their their backup, too, and, I don't know, maybe even play alongside Arike in some three-guard lineups, you know, with Arike sliding down at the, the three. So uh, I would imagine as long as she just does not—as as long as she's not completely unplayable defensively, she'll be a part of their rotation, I would imagine.
0: Well, what are the other options here? Because you've also got Abby Myers. You've also got Ashley Jones. And then this is what makes it interesting. They can kind of like mix and match any of these four players with their draft picks and Charlie Collier, Kalani Brown, and Jasmine Dickey. I don't think any of Brown, Collier, or Dickey will make the roster, but if something disastrous happens in training camp, that is an option for them. So do you lean all the way into shooting and keep Myers and Jones as well? Or do you know, do you stick with Collier for another year just to not make yourself look bad or, or what?
1: If it were me, the twelve that I would go with would be Dangerfield and Burton as your point guards, Agumbo Wale, Lopez Sanichal, and their other first-round pick, Abby Myers, Diamond DeShields, Loxa and Maddie Segrist, Natasha Howard, Satu Sabali, Tier McCowan, and Awat queer And that would leave you cutting Charlie Collier, Kalani Brown, Jasmine Dickey, and Ashley Jones. I guess okay. the, the question for you is maybe whether Jones or Collier would make the team over... You know, like an Abby Myers or Katia Loxo or, or something
0: like that? That, that is the question. First would, of all, would you I, I consider,
1: think... sorry, would you consider maybe Dangerfield on the, the bubble as well? Like a, No.
0: okay, No. I think they need another ball handler. Because if you look at all these players, like Lopez Seneschal, not going to handle the ball. Abby Myers, probably not going to handle the ball. Loxa, that's not her game. Um, Obviously, Agun Buwale is, is going to be dominating the ball, but just for depth purposes, I think you just need another ball handler.
1: Yeah, so would you go, I guess, with those same four players that I named on the outs? Uh,
0: yeah, I think so. I'm really rooting for Loxa. You know, she's got such a nice-looking jump shot, and she can... I mean, if you want a movement shooter, that's her. <laughs> I, I can't think of many players off the top of my head who have such a nice, quick-release coming off screens or, or coming off pin-downs or things like that. Um, she's not going to give you anything besides that, but... The wings wouldn't again. The wings wouldn't need anything besides that. So, if you keep both her and Lopez-Seneschal, that's forty minutes of solid movement shooting, and that's something the team desperately needed. In fact, that's something. That's a reason why I was a little surprised they took uh, Myers over Taylor Mikecell, because that was one of Mikecell's. That was probably Mikecell's biggest selling point. I think Myers is a better player, but you know, if you look at specifically what this team needs, obviously they're not drafting for long term potential. They're just drafting to bring as many shooters on the roster as they can. So yeah, I don't think Jones is going to make it. Um, I just don't think she translates translates athletically. I think Dickey is is, is not long for the league. Um, Brown, I mean, she got hurt overseas, unfortunately. So it, even if she's healthy, I think she's got a long road ahead of her. I think Kylie. I think that it's just time for the experiment to end. So yeah, I'd agree with her twelve.
1: Yeah, and if we could just hit on Lux a little bit more. I mean, she's. I think she's one of the world's premier movement shooters like like you said she, she can really shoot it she, yeah. she's a flat out bad two-point scorer like even overseas she really cannot do anything inside the arc i i wouldn't even count on her necessarily being a positive wmba defender but i mean the things that you know her release and, and her ability to uh relocate 40 percent from three on 270 attempts this year for bologna you know if if she can hold up at all defensively and if, if Tremel has any kind of offensive creativity to free her up and take advantage of her outside of just kind of like stationing her above the arc or uh, on the corner, you know, really kind of maximize um, her ability to move without the basketball here. Like she she can do things that, that I think even, you know, Lopez Seneschal is probably a little bit of a different...
0: Her ceiling as a shooter is, is higher than, than Lopez Seneschal's, I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, she's she's just she's so good at what she does. So the other, I think, thing that we wanted to kind of talk about rotation wise is you know who you who we would maybe go with as the the starting point guard here. Dangerfield and Burton kind of are they're somewhat similar molds just in terms of you know players that are are not going to drive a ton of scoring for you. They're definitely not score first point guards. What do you think about sort of the the point guard battle, quote unquote, around you know the the more kind of big name players on this team?
0: Well, first of all, I could see this just becoming uh, a repeat of the movie we've seen many times before with the Wings, which is a low-usage point guard versus another low-usage point guard just essentially splitting minutes at the position. Uh, Ty Harris versus Mo Jefferson versus Veronica Burton from the last couple seasons. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, burton is, I think, pretty clearly the better defender at this point. I think you're higher on, on Dangerfield's defense than I am, but burton that's Burton's main selling point. Like If she's on the floor, she's defending. That's that's the reason you have her out there. I think both have pretty good floor games. I think Burton's floor game is a little understated considering she's still a young player, but I, I actually think she's got a better floor game than Dangerfield. Dangerfield, obviously the better I, shooter. I, I would
1: actually agree with that already. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, Dangerfield, obviously the better shooter. Maybe not by a lot, but uh, Burton, not going to hurt you unless she's got a whole county... Ahead of her in, in terms of free space, um, whereas Dangerfield at least has some jump shot versatility. Burton, uh, a little stronger, a little more athletic, a little taller, just just the more physical player. M- more more versatility on... defensively too. You know
1: she could probably guard two players. I would say two, sure. two positions.
0: And the thing is, Stephen, you need somebody in this lineup who's defending out there. Logan we've seen that that's not going to happen for Marike. Who's starting at the three? Like, are they starting Sabally at the three? Are they starting DeShields Shields at the three? Okay, if they start the shields at the three, she's probably gonna take the the best perimeter score, but you need someone to guard the point of attack. And I would definitely trust Burton with that over Dangerfield.
1: You know, I, I wonder if this team to sort of maximize Diamond to Shields as a defensive player and sort of keep her engaged, because I think we both agree that she can kind of lose her concentration off the ball a little bit. She can kinda of get She's
0: much better on the ball.
1: Yeah. Maybe what you're doing in your starting lineup is kinda of, no matter who's out there. Diamond to Shields is going to guard the point of attack and Veronica Burton is going to guard just the next best perimeter player besides the point of attack. You know, unless it's really kind of like a huge three, Veronica Burton can just guard your two. Arike can guard, you know, the worst perimeter player out there and Diamond to Shields maybe, again, just to kind of keep her engaged. I think that's her best defensive skill is, is, you know, on the ball. She can kind of hound you a little bit. Maybe that's a way to kind of maximize your defensive personnel on this team. So you think of those start to Shields? I, yeah I do think they'll start to the Shields and I, I think they'll I mean actually kind of think they'll start Dangerfield but I think they should start Burton
0: okay because at the end of the day this is about which player complements a Goodenberry more I mean that's 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 what it always is with this team and, and so, McCowan
1: honestly I think they they kind of see McCowan as like a core piece of their identity
0: okay so it's who it's who it's it's gonna be the same point though Stephen because uh who's who do you trust more to hit open three pointers probably Dangerfield right. Who do you trust to just get the ball where it needs to go? I think that's a toss up. I I think
1: Burton is kind of comfortably ahead, maybe overstates it, but like, even if she's not a better, you know, even if she doesn't have a better passing bag, you know, she's not five foot five. You know, she can, she can pat, she can make the passes over the defense better. Like, she's, you know, again, you said her, her floor game, I think, is a little bit better. And I think her shooting numbers are, kind of just like they were in college, like sort of driven down by just like dribble pull ups that maybe you can just coach out of her game a little bit. Like she was a perfectly acceptable catch and shoot player, so if if maybe you just eliminate the the eighteen percent from dribble threes last year, you know, her her shooting numbers look I think considerably more respectable. Not great, still, like thirty four percent, but, you know, fine.
0: Fair enough. Where I was going with this is obviously it's it's just about who is who is providing more that isn't shooting. And I think Burton is that player. Like you said, it wouldn't surprise me if they start the season with Dangerfield, but I think Burton is, is is longer for this team in that role. The other thing
1: I I wanted to talk about, Eric is, you know, they made the trade, uh, with, with New York, that the John Quell Jones trade, which, you know, even if you don't love the fit, like, you know, the Alicia gray part was not really part of that. Like, uh, Bringing in a, a player of Natasha Howard's caliber, you know, basically so New York could clear up the room to bring in Jonquel Jones, uh, I, I definitely get sort of the high-end talent upside swing that they went for there. But when you just look at everything else that's going on with this team and the roster construction, like what does a successful Natasha Howard season look like in Dallas offensively, playing with Arike, playing with Tierra McCowan, like how can she be a positive player for them? on that end we, we mentioned the shooting like basically a 32 percent three-point shooter since becoming a starter and, and really kind of taking them so you don't really count as her as sort of like you know a floor spacing four. like just i i have a hard time sort of conceptualizing what it's going to look like
0: well the main concern for me is that both howard and McCowan are going to occupy the same place on the floor in which they're both effective and McCowan is a heck of a lot more effective in that area than howard is so you're basically pushing Howard out of the paint and and doing what? You know she's not the best big at setting screens. You mentioned she's not really a stretch big either. I think she's got the she's got a good enough um, off ball game where she can be effective cutting to the basket. But McCown is not Brittany Griner out there. Like she's not she's going to get the basketball. And she's going to go up with it. Like she's not looking to to dump it off even against double teams. So that's a very good question, Stephen. <laughs> I have no clue what a successful offensive season would look like for Howard
1: 81 career assists for Tierra McCowan through her four seasons, you know, not, not, a lot. not someone who as much as she's getting that attention and, and as much as Howard is a player who has been successful moving without the ball, she had a very good cutting season, you know, as recently as last year, but um, I McCowan just maybe those strides are coming as a passer, but she hasn't been the player that's just going to like use that gravity that she gets, you know, everybody's sort of swarming her, as you know the the strong post player who's who's taller than everybody you know kind of getting those double teams she's not going to really pass out of those to the benefit of her teammates uh and you know she doesn't need to she's just going to get to the free throw line and hit 60 percent of her free throws but um you know she i don't know the the other thing is like she's you know kind of reputed as this player with like major athleticism advantages like she doesn't really get in the open court as much as you want anymore like her transition rate is not amazing even for a big I don't know I think there's a very good chance to me that like she can have good moments as an offensive player as a backup center when Tier McCown is off the floor. that's exactly
0: what I was gonna say yeah yeah it, it, it's almost not what their fit is together but what it looks like when there's only one of them on the court because when they're when they're not on the court together I mean you've got advantages at with, with both of them at the five right throughout and throughout the course of a game Yeah, I I would
1: agree with that, Eric. You have advantages with either of them at the five, but you have no advantages, I don't think, with both of them on the floor together, outside of what McCown brings in. What was
0: that Latricia Trammell quote saying, like, yeah, we've got players in in two different molds, so we can play two different ways? I I really hope she was saying, like, okay, yeah, we can can have Howard at the backup five and then play a different way because together, I'm just not seeing the fit here.
1: Yeah. And like we had kind of mentioned before, like I think Satu Sabali as a player that the one big on this roster who you think of as a legitimate stretch option, like she Satu Sabali, as, as much as she hasn't had as many minutes to play in the WNBA, like she is a good three point shooter. Now she shot. You know, in the mid 40s for Fenerbahce again this year, she was a good shooter for them last year. Playing her alongside McCowan makes things easier for McCowan and makes things easier yeah. for Howard. Maybe you'll get killed on the glass a little bit in those backup center lineups, but you know, at least then you can use Howard in the post a little bit more. Like, you can't post up Natasha Howard with McCowan out there. Like, even if you're counting on How- uh, McCowan to grab the offensive rebounds, like, Howard's going to. You know, a double will be able to come over. Like, you're not going to have the space. It'll result in a bunch of turnovers.
0: You can't... Pick... Lots of floor shrinkage. yeah.
1: Yep. You, you can't really play the pick and roll with a, a straight kind of center just clogging the lane alongside uh, alongside Howard and McCowan. So maybe the, the Diamond-Howard combination as a pick and roll duo in backup units, like, that can really give you something. I mean, but even Diamond to Shields. Like, she's taking good strides as a pick and roll scorer, but... Still a player that, that's going to give you more turnovers than assists. She's not, you know, diming people up out there. So, I mean, I don't know. It's We seem very skeptical of it, but I, I think it's for good reason. You know, there's there's not a natural fit here for Howard, the, the super max player that they traded for, and McCowan, the max player that they
0: re-signed. Should we move on to strengths and weaknesses?
1: Let's do it. I think their strengths are definitely obvious ones, Eric. Like they're they should be very good at the things that basically their their max player is very good at, right? They're gonna be a great offensive rebounding team. Like when you have a singular force on the offensive glass like Tierra McCowan, that's going to carry you to success on the offensive rebounding. Like they would be foolish not to put her in the position to do that, and and she's going to do it better than you know, basically anybody in the history of the league. Like she's just a historically good offensive rebounder and she turns that into free throws. Uh, you know, she seven fouls per thirty-six minutes for T.R. McCowan. You know, she's again probably only gonna give you sixty percent from the line, but she's also gonna put the team in the bonus and and all those non-shooting falls for your better free throw shooters are, are gonna turn into free throws you know, with six minutes left in the half or four minutes left in the half or something. And even still, you know, 60% from the line, that's not amazing, but that's 1.2 points per possession. That's an above average figure for a WNBA possession where, you know, a half court, the average half court possession last year was 0.876 point per possession and even transition 1.02 points per possession. So if your center just gets to the line every possession and shoots 60%, like, you're going to be the best offense in the league, basically.
0: Yeah, that's true. Ultimately, you know, I think, Stephen, sometimes people get hung up on free throw percentage when it's more about free throw rate. Uh, if, if you get to the line at a very high rate, you can miss some free throws. Like, McCowan, not a great free throw shooter, obviously. But And here's something, like you always like to say, it's it, sometimes it's not even the fouls that she draws in the active shooting. It's the fouls she draws when, when teams are just trying to body her up and they can't. You mentioned um, back at the beginning of the episode when the Wings uh, beat this guy on the road that one game. I was just... You, you had Candace Parker on her, and she had nothing for Tierra McAllen. She's not big enough. There are very, very few players who are big enough. And it's 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 a good point that you bring up. Like, it's it's pretty wild how one player can just turn you into a good offensive rebounding team, can just turn you into a good free-throw attempting team. So unless McCollin just totally regresses at the free-throw line and, and shoots like immediate post labrum injury, Melissa Thomas from the free throw line, then I think you're going to be solid there. Yep. I I completely agree with you.
1: The other thing that I think they, they should be good at Eric is transition. You know, Arike gets out in transition a ton. Diamond to shields will obviously get out in transition a ton. Those were the number one and number five players in terms of total transition possessions last season. Uh, might be a problem that they don't have anyone to outlet to them. Uh, they don't have great passing, especially from the big positions on on this team and it might be nice if they had at least one big who could get out and transition with those two players. you know Howard, as we mentioned, not really that player. Uh, maybe she can get back there with some some coaching that emphasizes a little bit you know Sandy Brondello, obviously not a coach that gives her players the freedom to run in the open court. We would love for Satu to become that player, but she just she's not an open court player, uh, much to our dismay but you know, when you have those two players alone, I think that's that's gonna put you in position to have a good amount of transition possessions.
0: Would you say this team is more athletic than average? Because I think there there are some reasons to just not you know, like McCowan obviously kind of lumbers up and down the court. Um Dangerfield probably not the best athlete at her, at her position, but they've got the potential to put together some pretty athletic lineups, right? Like a lineup of Burton, Ogunbowale, Diamond Shields, Satu Saboli, Natasha Howard. That's a conceivable lineup that really could have a good athleticism advantage.
1: Yeah. But then basically every other player that will be in this rotation, like Lou Lopez, Saneshaw, you know, she has the athleticism in the, in terms of, uh, in, and the same for Katia Loxa, like, you know, busting around screens and, and having great off ball movement and stuff like that. But, I wouldn't say her, their advantages athletically kind of materialize in basically any other way. Um, if Maddie Segrist is playing for this team, like that's probably an athleticism disadvantage. Awok Queer, you know, I, she has particular athleticism advantages. I think there's still maybe some room for Awok to, you know, improve her conditioning and be able to play heavy minutes uh, without getting tired and without fouling. So like you said, I think it, it's very lineup dependent, but it's certainly, you know, if they throw out the right lineup, it, it can be uh, an advantage for them.
0: Okay. Um. Any other strengths?
1: Yeah, I wanted to hit on a couple more. Self-creation, obviously, like Arike Gumbawale, Tierra McCowan, Diamond De Shields. you know, maybe more as a second unit creator. Those players, like, do not need you to kind of get them into a good position to get at least a pretty decent shot off. They've always been pretty good in the Arike Agumboale era in terms of avoiding turnovers. Uh, you know, make of that what you will.
0: Can't turn it over if you shoot it first. That's
1: true. But, you know, neither of their point guards are are high turnover players. Like, there's not a lot of high variance passers here either way. You know, high value or, or high turnover. So, um, you know, they're transition players. They, they mostly just kind of look to get their own offense. You know, they're not kind of throwing risky passes out there. So... Between the turnovers and the offensive rebounding, I think this team should probably win the possession battle most nights, so kind of combining that into sort of one bigger strength, I guess.
0: Okay, moving on to weaknesses. Is it fair to say that defense is still a weakness for this team? Because we just haven't seen what it's going to look like out there. Yeah, I think
1: until, you know, Latricia Trammell can just prove that she's an absolute magician, like, there's a lot defensively is going to fall on the shoulders, I think, of Natasha Howard in a walk queer to kind of clean up for all the non-veronica burton permanent players you know i think in diamond to shields and Enrique Gumbawala, you have two of the most inattentive off-ball defensive players in the league you know as that might be a little harsh to say out loud but i think it's honestly well, it's not untrue pretty accurate you know Enrique is kind of in her own category as a defensive player you know one of probably the worst star defenders in the league this side of Diana Taurasi. But yeah, I mean, pick and roll defense, obviously, like, you know, outside of Burton, they have not a lot of, you know, Diamond can defend the point of attack a little bit. Is is she really going to kind of get around screens all that much? You know, T.R. McCown in the pick and roll. They also just have nobody to guard off ball, again, besides Veronica Burton. Uh, And you might just want her at the point of attack. She might be your best option there as well. I think defensive rebounding, you know, it might sound... Crazy to say out loud because they have all this great rebounder in Tierra McCowan. They have Natasha Howard's going to be playing the four instead of the five. As great as McCowan is on the offensive boards, like she does not have that impact on the defensive glass. Dallas rebounded just under 70% of their opponent's misses with her out there last year. She's never really played on an above average defensive rebounding team in her career and her team's have never particularly been better on the defensive glass, even when she's been out there over the course of her career. So, I mean, you know, Howard, I think, is is a, a fine rebounder for a four, you know, below average in maybe those backup units when she's going to be playing with either Awok or Satu, who are also, I think, not plus rebounders for their positions. I mean, do you think it's crazy to say that this team might struggle on the defensive glass?
0: No, I don't think it's crazy to say. A lot of it is going to have to do with lineups, obviously. Because then, like you said, if you're playing Howard at the five, which I think we both agree should happen in, on, in bench lineups, what is the rush of that lineup going to look like? Because then you're pretty much committing to side two at the four, and that's just not going to be a good rebounding lineup.
1: And, you know, if a Katia Laksa or a Lou Lopez and a are out there to kind of space the floor with those lineups, you know, those are not going to be great WNBA rebounders either. You know, a walk. Queer does not have a ton of strength to kind of keep her, her player off the glass. So uh yeah, I think I think it'll be a little bit of a struggle. Maybe not worst in the league or or bottom two or three, but I, I think they'll be below average probably. Passing, you know, I think they might be slightly better than last year or in years past, but I would imagine, you know, unless Leticia Tremo is just like the coach of the year, like this team will probably be bottom four in assist percentage, as they basically always are with the Rika Gumballale.
0: It's just well it's, it's no value added passing, I think is a thing.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean we we don't have these type of tracking numbers, but I would also imagine that, you know, they would be in the bottom of the league of just like passes per possession, passes per thirty six minutes, however sure, you kinda sure. wanna track that stuff. But yeah, they don't have a ton of just like, you know, dime you up type creators out there. Uh perimeter defense, we kinda mentioned that. I mean, here's a weakness, man, like their best players don't make sense together. They don't have lineup cohesion. Like maximizing the strength of all their best players, like they have no spacing around their creators unless you're playing players who have never played in the WNBA before, whether it's Lopez Seneschal, or Katia Loxo. Like Diamond, Burton, and Natasha Howard, as we mentioned in our free agency episode, combined to shoot 63 for 224 from three last season. That's 28%. You know, Dangerfield is not some great shooter if you want to kind of go with more spacing at the point guard position, a career 34% shooter. Uh, but Diamond to Shields, last season, eighth percentile as a spot-up player, like, wasn't even effective attacking closeouts. Natasha Howard, 24th percentile as a spot-up player. The players that can shoot, like, they're going to be the ones that are more, at least from the outside, with all the big names they have, on the margins of the rotation. Katia Loxa, Lou lopez Seneschal, Abby Myers... And, you know, there's no way this team will be able to defend anyone with Katia Loxa and Enrique and Tierra McCowan out there uh, or Lou Lopez Seneschal and Enrique. So,
0: Steven, it's like you, you can't play more than one of those players at the, on the floor at the same time, right? I mean, I
1: think Lopez Seneschal. could. could L- Lopez Seneschal is a two, and I think Katia Loxa is a three. So. I get, hmm.
0: Okay, for a defensive-minded coach, how how many minutes is that? Gonna
1: be? <laughs> I bet those players play zero minutes together this year, to be honest. Well, at least non-garbage time. Uh, I mean, maybe you know, if Diamond could just give you a little bit more playmaking for others, you know, run her at the one a little bit with those two players around you in in absolute bench lineups. But you know, that's that's not really the player that she is. Um, so I don't know. It's. I, I have a hard time, you know, even defensively, we kind of talked about the defense before, but you know, are you, are you playing aggressively, you know, in pick and roll and kind of blitzing and hedging and, you know, letting Satu and Awok and Natasha Howard make plays in the perimeter? Is that your scheme? Because McTier McHowan is not going to do that. Arika Gumbawale is not not going to do anything
0: in the backside. If you do that, that's the problem.
1: I mean, yeah, that's true as well. They don't have sort of that weak side rotation defender to really make up for that aside from Howard. Um, And, you know, if you're playing more traditional, I think a lot of players in their roster, Natasha Howard and and Satu Sabli, like they're not traditional drop pick and roll players. So, you know, as recently as last year, we did see Washington kind of play player specific schemes in the pick and roll. You know, we talked about how Deladon would play more of a drop and Austin would kind of um, be more aggressive on the perimeter, you know, maybe... Trammell can kind of instill those principles here and sort of just play to each player's strength and, and kind of mix and match your coverage depending on who's involved. But I have a hard time kind of seeing it all click together defensively or offensively for this team. I mean, offensively, they are going to be good because they just, they have Tierra McCowan and if Tierra McCowan has the same year that she did last year, like that alone is just going to, I guess, drive you to one of the best offenses in the league. But outside of that, I, I have a hard time seeing how it all makes sense.
0: One way you usually describe the Connecticut Sun uh, in years past was they can't play their best players at the same time. Is that something you'd use to describe the Wings as well? Um, no,
1: I wouldn't because they they can play, you know, like Burton, Arike, Diamond, Howard, and Tierra McCowan all together. I guess the thing is that Satu Sabali is probably one of their they're five best players. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Because she's not...
0: Kind of, yeah. Okay,
1: okay. I mean, they positionally, I guess, it it makes more sense than Connecticut, but somehow Connecticut still, I feel like, was going to make that work It's not going to be as good than... as Connecticut was, though. Yeah, exactly. Mostly because those players aren't as good, but also just, you know, Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Jones, you know, they, they played together for a half decade overseas, and, and in the WNBA, Alyssa Thomas and Jonquo Jones had years together, uh, stateside as well. And they also, (laughs) for all his strengths and weaknesses, they had a coach that just kind of leaned into the identity. So, um, I don't know. I, I wonder how much, I guess here's the question I have for you. Will Satu Sabli play
0: more four or three this season? That's a good question. I think we both like her more at the four, but, and I think they want to play a walk as well. So like, well, that's, that's a different proposition because then where is she going to play? Yeah. I mean, I, I, and you know we have. It's crazy. It's, it's, this is so funny because like it, it seems like they finally got rid of enough players, to you know not have a roster crunch like this. But it's it's just the the same story with different players now.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot to figure out. I could see avenues where like it does just make sense. Like Katia Loxa is your backup small forward, and and maybe. Um, you know, gives you that element of shooting and, and you don't play Arike and Diamond, you know, you stagger those two players so there there's not a ton of overlap. You stagger Howard and McCowan so there's not a ton of overlap. I think that just leaves like, you know, Satu and Awok and some other players that you want just to get more minutes than they, that might be available. I guess the nice thing is that Tier McCowan is not, you know, a 30 minute per game player in, That's in this regard. So there's going to be plenty of kind of backup big minutes to go around. Natasha Howard has never played huge minutes mostly because of fall trouble so you know as, as much as for a lot of teams we cover i always kind of default to well, just play three bigs like don't play a fourth big this team is probably going to need to play a fourth big and they'll probably benefit from playing a fourth big but i i feel like satu is going to be the one that just like gets a little bit relegated to a role that she should play more than
0: okay but the other side of that coin is that satu can, is at least capable of playing on the perimeter queer is not like, no I, i'm yeah, not that's sure. Sure. i once sure. again think i que- like I don't think Queer's gonna play much at all this season, unfortunately. That that's too bad. I think because you know she's
1: she's got some good. She's gonna dif- have to play. Yeah. Like
0: she's a really talented player, and she improved a lot last season. She still has a way to go, but.
1: And she's just I a player that conceptually I'm very interested in. Like, what does a walk Queer plus Latricia Trammell look like? And maybe there just won't be enough minutes to go around the for the us world to see. Never it. Know. Yeah, but uh, conceptually, very interesting at least. But I mean, I think. You know, this is a fairly talented team. Like, they they built a roster, and Natasha Howard is the third best player on that team. Like, you got Satu Sabali coming off the bench. We we mentioned they now have four whole all-stars on the team, up from two. Uh, the the end of the rotation is a bunch of shooters who can space the floor and without taking a lot off the table for, for anyone else. So, again, if you are just kind of a neutral observer or a Wings fan, like, I definitely get talking yourself into the moves that they made here. And I don't really think there's any chance that they are worse relative to the rest of the league than they were last year, even though I think we, we like last year's roster in a vacuum more. But I don't know. Could you see this Most team? Most of the
0: league around them got worse, right?
1: Yeah. I guess, you know, they, they could be the seventh seed, I guess. They could be worse than Atlanta Connecticut and Washington, you know that's three, four. Oh, uh, I guess that's only six. So, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing them fall all the way down to, oh, Phoenix as well. Yeah, I mean that—that's the neighborhood though. That six or seven, that's kind of where I would see this
0: team, kind of. I can honestly see them missing the playoffs too. Like this isn't a, this isn't a sure thing.
1: That would really surprise me. I have to be honest. I you think so. Yeah, I think you know the the offense, the floor is just so high offensively. I mean, unless Tierra McCowan is just not that player from last year, um, but I think she will be. I think, you know, what we've seen from McCowan, it's it's not going to work against every single team. You know, some some opponent, she's just going to kind of give back more than she uh, gives her team. But over the course of the season, you know, I think maybe it's not a 110 offensive rating, but I, I think kind of, you know, what they leaned, leaned into, unless Latricia Tremel just has a whole other... Uh, I guess, theory of what kind of is going to make this team good. And from an upside perspective, like, I could see them maybe hosting, you know, being the four seed. if, If everything goes right for them, you know, they get up to the four seed. That means being better than, you know, all but one of Washington, Atlanta, Connecticut, Phoenix. Like, I like the idea of those teams more than this one, for sure. But none of them are so certain, like so impermeable, I think, that there's some kind of certainty, you know, to host a playoff series. Like there's there's downside potential for that whole group to me.
0: Well, that's that's part of what's going to make the season really interesting to me is that you have a lot of teams. Of course, the focus is going to be on New York and Las Vegas as the clear favorites uh, to win the championship, but it's that next tier of teams. So we don't really know what it looks like or what it's going to be. Each of them has a case to host the playoff series, and uh, each of them has a significant concern about how their roster is built. So. Yeah, it should be fun. to See if the Wings. Uh, it seems like we've we've been waiting, Stephen, years now for the Wings to take that next step. You know, to take that next step from being a, a playoff bubble team to a legit contender for a, a first round, hosting a first round playoff series. So you you think this this could be the year, huh?
1: I mean, again, if every single thing, I think they're probably looking at
0: more at because of those teams you listed. I would rank the Wings last.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would too. But I I like. I wouldn't feel so strongly that I would, you know, book it or like, I, I, I wouldn't promise it, okay. you know, okay. I, I, I Washington and Connecticut, I feel strongly that those teams are better than Dallas.
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe Atlanta and Dallas are a better match for each other.
1: Atlanta and Phoenix, you know, Phoenix, who knows about what Phoenix is going to be this year? Who's going to be available? Who's going to be able to, you know,
0: yeah, I, there's a reason why we're saving them for like for last year, <laughs> by the way. Um,
1: But yeah, like I said, I like the idea of all those teams more than Dallas, but it's not impossible for me to imagine a world where Dallas, you know, has a better regular season than most of, if not all of them. And then, you know, they could even beat an Atlanta in a first-round series or something like that. Like, that would okay, not fair enough. shock me if they got a, a favorable matchup in the 4-5 or five or something like that. But, you know, this is a, a team that is kind of just uh, treading water in the middle, I think a little bit without really kind of material, like materially changing their fortunes for the next four or five years to make themselves into a contender.
0: Okay. shall we wrap things up.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um, thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to support the show, uh, please do so by following rating and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at double down WNBA You can follow Eric at Nemchok E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, another one in the books, Eric.
0: All right. It was fun as always. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week.